You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. Welcome to the scrimmage. Good Monday morning to you. I'm Daniel Hargrove. And I'm Justin Domashevitz. We got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about one of Daniel's favorite topics, the unwritten rules of baseball. Ah, don't get me started. Also going to be talking about the Blazers and our playoff basketball team draft, which Justin is just looking so great at so far. But first... <laughs> Let's get it going with it's the two-minute drill. It's very rude. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hold up. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds. Hand the ball to ref. Gun do right, gun do right. Three jet buckeye on one. The two-minute drill starts now. The Washington football team announced on Sunday that Daniel, your boy, quarterback Alex Smith, has yes, been sir. cleared for football activity and activated off the physically unable to perform list. Smith had 17 surgeries and nearly lost his leg after a gruesome injury in 2018. Ugh. Daniel, do you think he will ever throw a football in an NFL game again? I do. I think that them bringing him off of the PUP list gives him a good shot to throw a football in a game. I think that, hey, maybe he'll win the starting No, he probably won't win the starting job over Dwayne Haskins, but I would love to see it. I mean, it's just crazy to think that he is trying to come back after that. He's made a decent amount of money. I'd probably be like, yeah, I think I'm just going to hang him up and chill for the rest of my life with my leg there. So (laughs) such a crazy story, and I hope he gets another chance to at least make one more pass, kind of get that memory out of his head of that being his last play. San Diego Padres shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr., violated the unwritten rules of baseball last week by hitting a grand slam on a 3-0 count with a seven-run lead in the eighth inning of a game against the Texas Rangers. Wah. Justin, should Tatis, what should Tatis' punishment be? Well, the punishment, I did a deep dive into the unwritten rules of baseball, and I found out the punishment is that whomever the pitcher is of the offended team, they should throw a ball at or behind the next player in the lineup, and that should be the punishment for Fernando Tatis Jr. <sighs> Isn't that what they did? Yeah. Okay. NBC Sports' Peter King said on the Dan Patrick Show on Tuesday that he still thinks Antonio Brown is most likely to land in Seattle. NFL insider Mike Silver previously reported that the Seahawks have moved on from AB. Daniel, which report do you believe? The second one, because I want it to be true. I don't want (laughs) AB. I think that they will be fine without another headache moving in on a shortened season season with no preseason to try and get somebody else involved on how to work things out and figure out the offense and then trying to cram in another guy who's going to want 15 targets a game and possibly will freak out if he doesn't have it. So give me Josh Gordon and the receiving core will be set. The Seahawks announced on Wednesday that the team will play at least its first three home games without fans in the stands. Justin, what was your reaction when you saw this news? When I saw that news, I thought, oh, I had not considered the possibility that they were leaving it open to have fans in the stands at any point this season. I guess it's cool that they're taking it just a little chunk at a time. 
that's a little over a third of the season, so maybe they'll take it in three chunks. But to me, there's a next to 0% chance that there's going to be fans in the stands at the clink to watch the Seahawks this season. Yeah, I was shocked. I was like, wait, they hadn't already done that? I guess it probably was at least partially in response to the fact that Maybe teams felt like they needed to say something since Jerry Jones came out and said, we're going to have fans in our stands this season at some point. So then the other teams felt like, well, we thought this was clear, but maybe we'll just extra clarify. Yeah. No no fans, at least for now. What I, heard, were, I heard somebody saying that they were pretty sure Jerry Jones actually couldn't keep fans from attending <laughs> games because some of those suites are like privately owned. Huh. Like some of the suites, like they don't, they can bring whoever they want in and show up whenever they want. That actually kind of makes sense, though. <laughs> if somebody's in a private suite, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you could. I you, feel like you could keep capacity levels down. Keep capacity levels down. If you're not someone who's in the same family, you could have the flexibility to socially distance from each other. You wouldn't have people waiting in long lines for food and bathrooms and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that kind of makes sense. Yeah. What do you think? You were giving me weird looks every, when I was talking about Alex Smith. Do you know something I don't know about that? Like, I, has he already been cut? No. <laughs> I really wanted to give you this question about your boy so that you could say yes. <laughs> I watched a video of Alex Smith when he was removed from the pup list. They did this thing where, like, his family surrounded him and they had champagne bottles and they popped him open and he walked through. It was really adorable little family moment they had to celebrate that. And I don't want to minimize the massive accomplishment that this guy who first almost died, then almost lost his leg. Like, I don't want to make it seem like this guy didn't do just to get back to where he is, is an amazing accomplishment. But as I watched that video, I thought his leg doesn't look right. And also he's just walking out of his house and walking out of his house doesn't look right. So in my mind, I thought, okay, well, the doctors taking him off the pup list probably means they're saying, okay, well, you can't do any more damage to your leg. It's, it's as good as it's going to be. But even just in that scenario, he wasn't moving in a way that made me feel confident that he could get out there on an NFL field. I would say, I hope that the Washington football team would do something for him, like maybe at the end of a game where they're losing by 40. I think that's a more likely scenario than they're winning by 40. So if they're losing by a bunch of points, they let him get on the field and take a couple snaps. I think that would be really cool. Just so like you said, he can have that, you know, he can have that. This my last play in an NFL game wasn't me almost dying from a gruesome leg break. Exactly. That would be cool. But I don't think like him competing for even a, I don't know, even a backup job. It'd be so hard after everything he's been through. Absolutely. I think, I hope that that happens as well. And, uh, hate to go old glory days story on you here, but I, uh, do you, my, (laughs) (laughs) no, he doesn't. He doesn't. My last basketball shot in an official game, which my buddy Nathan Whitbeck brought up a ton not a ton, but he definitely brought it up when I saw him this last weekend, uh, was swatted. It was a dunk attempt that got swatted into the stands. Yeah, you're looking at me weird for a couple of reasons, i Mostly the dunk attempt. Yep. Yeah. So, (laughs) it might Was it a tennis ball? No. 
So I had dunked a tennis ball. I dunked a volleyball. Sure. And in throughout practice, the weeks leading up, you know, at the end of senior year, you try and dunk and stuff. And I had gotten pretty close. And I thought, you know, if I get a chance in a game, maybe the adrenaline will just push it over the okay. edge. So I got a steal on a breakaway. Definitely, you could tell that I was trying to do it because I was like timing up my steps and took like the big gather and went up and I was like, oh, I'm getting kind of close here. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see the like stomach area of the guy who was chasing me down from behind. <laughs> uh, Semkin was his name. I can't remember his first name at the moment. but And he swatted me so hard and he was so far up above me that on his follow through with the swat, his elbow hit me in the head. <laughs> And my buddy Nathan was like, dude, he actually saved you. Because could you imagine how embarrassing it would have been to get blocked by the rim in that situation? <laughs> and I was like, eh, I would have adjusted. I would have just laid it in. And he was like, no, you were all in. You had it like <laughs> cocked back like you were going to throw it down like LeBron. And you were just going to get rim checked. Do but, you think there's a chance you could have finished that dunk if the guy wasn't there? Because now we'll you, the way know. you're describing it makes it seem like Nathan thought you were going to come up like a foot shy. I wasn't a foot shy, Nathan. <laughs> no, I probably was not going to finish the dunk. But in my head, I still think that I would have gotten the ball in the hoop somehow. The fact, And me, we were up big, so it wouldn't have mattered that much. To but. me, the fact that you had never successfully dunked a basketball <laughs> on a 10-foot hoop before, even in practice when you just said you had been trying repeatedly. Yes. The fact that you decided to try it in a game is pretty amazing. <laughs> the Yeah, the, the chutzpah to try and do that. Yeah. That's much too positive of a word to put behind that. <laughs> the chutzpah. Yeah, so that was my last high school shot, and I wish that I would have taken another shot just so that wouldn't have been it. But, yeah, so I can imagine for Alex Smith just having another football play on the field without it being a gruesome, devastating injury that really changed your whole life. That would be nice to not have that be the last play. Yeah, if you haven't, if anybody hasn't watched the SportsCenter special on Alex Smith and his injury and everything he went through, it's a pretty amazing story. Um, the, literally, the guy almost died. Literally, he almost lost his leg. In fact, I heard it said on ESPN Radio earlier this week that if he had just had a different doctor, that doctor may have recommended, like many doctors may have recommended, no, we need to amputate your leg. But wow. because of the particular doctor that he had, this person was willing to give him a chance to keep it. Um, and he's obviously made the best of that situation. But more importantly, Daniel, when I wrote these two-minute drill questions, I gave myself the question about unwritten rules of baseball because I wanted to give you more space to answer it. Good. So, Daniel, this horrendous <laughs> thing that Fernando Tatis Jr. did oh with a seven-run lead, swinging on a 3-0 count, hitting a grand slam, rubbing it in, being ungentlemanly and undignified, not playing the game that the way that we've all grown up in the game, Daniel, what should his punishment have been? Uh, nothing. <laughs> Seriously, this is the stupidest thing. Like, there are so many unwritten rules of baseball that, yeah, if you want to keep them, like, superstition-wise, like, don't step on the baseline when you're running out on the field. Yeah, I'm fine with that one. That's more of a superstition. But things like this, where nobody's getting hurt, like, I'm okay with throwing at somebody if they just came up spike first and tried to kill my shortstop. 
Like, I'm fine with, hey, you're going to take it in the back right now. But a dude hits a home run because you tubed a fastball right down the middle on a 3-0 count? I'm sorry. People get paid to hit home runs. So much so that if he doesn't hit that out and say he only gets to 39 home runs instead of 40, people will look at that differently in contract talks, in Hall of Fame discussions. Mm -hmm. Like, hitting home runs is a big deal. So if you want to tube a fastball down the middle of the plate, I don't care what the score is. Hit a home run. Like, And he didn't celebrate any different rounding the bases on that one than his previous home run in the game. Did the exact same thing, didn't rub anything in, hits the dinger, runs around, celebrates with his boys, and then even his own manager is looking at him like, I don't know what you're doing here, bud. Like, get out of here. Your guy just hit a home run. He's one of the best players in the league. He's one of the youngest players in the league. And you don't want him to have fun and swing on a pitch? Like, I am sorry. The difference between him taking a pitch there and then say he hits a home run on the next one, what's the difference? Well, then it's 3-1. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> like, it's stupid. It's not like the pitcher is not going to try and get you out after that. Like, the pitcher is still trying to get you out no matter what. Yeah. So if the pitcher's trying to still get you out, you should be able to still hit a home run. Like, be better. That's that's my biggest thing. And the whole, like, runs thing. The only reason that you tell guys not to swing 3-0 in baseball at all is because you're like, eh, your percentages of getting a walk here are probably better if you let him throw another pitch and then maybe you can work a walk. If I ever have a player who I just think is a stud, if I'm ever going to be a coach, and I think this guy's a stud, I'm not going to give him a 3-0 take sign. If they yeah, want so that, that doesn't change it for you that the manager said he gave him a take sign and he ignored it. He never even looked down there. Yeah. He didn't he didn't ignore the sign. He didn't look at the coach. Yeah. So maybe that's how he ignored it. Maybe he was yeah. like, I'm not even gonna look down there because I know I'm getting the take. So if if he was doing something in direct disobedience to his coach, that might that I would understand his coach maybe being a little upset because, you know, that's more of an authority thing between you and the guy, you know telling you what to do as a coach but just the unwritten rules of like oh you're up seven didn't the Mariners have a game a couple years ago against the Padres and it was it was against the Padres it was against that same organization where they scored like 11 runs in an inning and came back to win when they were down like nine in the eighth inning yes so yeah there's been 12 instances in this shortened season already where uh, in which a team has scored six or more runs in one inning yeah so I don't get why you would – it's not Little League. I get it in Little League. When you get up big and you're 10 running a team, and then you're like, all right, let's go base to base here. Like, we're not going to rub it in. You're going to hit a ball. Everybody moves up a base. We're going to keep playing, but we're not going to rub it in. That makes sense. This is professional baseball, people. It's so stupid. And the fact that the next pitcher, they took that guy out, the next pitcher comes in and throws behind Manny Machado, like, get out of here. Because as we've talked before, and I've used as you have mentioned multiple times, if you miss and hit a guy in the head or even break a rib or something, that could be a guy sitting out for the rest of the season because a dude hit a home run on a 3-0 count. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Do you think that the manager giving him the take sign and then... It's not like his manager was really critical afterwards. He was kind of like, 
you know, I want to explain it by saying a lot of times we give our guys the green light on 3-0. I did give him a take sign. So he was like saying it's not out of the ordinary that in this scenario that he would swing. We yeah. let him swing the bat a lot on 3-0. Um, but I did try to give him a, a take sign. I was at at first initially really annoyed that his manager didn't come out and support him. Yeah. Because I think everyone reacted the same way to the opposing team's manager whining like a little baby. Everyone looked at him like, okay, your feelings are hurt. Sorry, you're sorry about your feelings. Yeah. But when his own manager didn't support him, I was kind of annoyed. I was curious if you think maybe the fact that um, he wanted to give him the take sign because he didn't want to get the next batter's hit. Like he thought okay, if I let you loose on this 3-0 count, that's going to look like we're rubbing it in and I don't want one of our other players to get hit. Do you think there's an element of the manager trying to protect the other players in the lineup in that situation? I guess there could be. I mean, maybe, but I think that is taking much more forethought than I'm giving the guy credit for. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that the manager's thinking that hard at that situation like, oh, if he hits a home run here, we're up. Let me do my calculations. Okay, eighth inning, seven runs. Okay, I like how that's you did the your limit. Calculations on a watch. Yeah, like those old watch calculators <laughs> from the nineties. Yeah, like it's just ridiculous. And just the fact that, like, I mean, Eric Hosmer ended up being the last out of that inning, and after he got out at first, looked over at the Rangers dugout and was like, "We'll talk to him. Hey, calm, calm down. We'll talk to him. We'll let him know that he's not allowed to have fun anymore and hit dingers. We'll talk to him." And then you see another shot later in the dugout where Tatis is just getting like lectured by a bunch of like old guard dudes. And he's just looking like great. He, he looks like he's having no fun. Yeah. Just sitting there like, really? I just hit a grand slam and I'm being lectured yes. for it. And obviously, obviously this isn't an original thought, but this is just another way that uh, old, what do you call them? Old heads? Old guard. Old guard. Old baseball purists. Yeah. Are trying to just suck the fun out of baseball. Yeah. And I love that one of the comments was. That's not the way we grew up in the game. Yeah. Literally, out he of grew here. up in the game. Literally, yeah. his dad was a major league baseball player. Yeah. Like, you can't grow up in the game more than Fernando Tatis Jr. grew up in the game. Seriously, He knows how to you play. Know, people said the same thing about Ken Griffey Jr. Wearing his hat backwards. It's not the way we grew up in the game. He literally grew up in the game. Yeah. And that's why he hated the Yankees so much. It's because the Yankees didn't <laughs> let him in the freaking facility. I loved uh, one of the things I heard uh, someone say. I think it was on maybe Around the Horn. They said the that Fernando Tatis is uh, statistically better than Mike Trout through his first 100 games. Wow! And the way that we, the way that baseball has chosen to respond to him internally, not the media. The media largely is going, "What's wrong with you?" And people, the general public, is going, "What's wrong with you?" But inside of baseball. The way people have responded to that was, well, don't have too much fun. Don't score too many runs. Don't hit dingers like that. Like inside of baseball, they're trying to make sure the game can't progress. Yeah. Let's put it this way. When Jared Kenelinick comes up to the Mariners, I hope he's swinging 3-0 in every situation like that and just being like, well, smell you later. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I want that. I want that on my team. I want Fernando Tatis on my team because he is a stud and just a blast to watch. I think that's going to do it for that. Yeah. Because I I don't (laughs) think there's much more to say. I think, thankfully, most of the reaction I've seen has been this is ridiculous. Yeah, I I agree. I think public reaction, I really haven't seen anybody defend it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So that's a good thing. Now it's time for your favorite part of the show, Justin. We're going to stump Daniel. We're going to stump Daniel. And for the first part of stump Daniel, we're going to stay in baseball. Okay. This so was we a, went NBA last two weeks. There's some NBA here too, but we're oh. going to, the first part of it's going to be baseball. Okay, so it's going to be confusing. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, no, it's not actually. The the two things kind of go together. So, Don't we're going to talk it. about super easy. We're going to have some questions about the 50-40-90 club, which we've talked about on the show is the group of players in the NBA history who have shot 40% from three-point, 50% from the field and 90% on free throws for an entire season. It's an elite group of mostly really great players. But there's a club in baseball that I saw some trivia just pop up this week that oh, I no. thought was really interesting. Uh-oh. It's the 40-40 club. Okay. I feel like you might know. You might be able to name every single player in the 40-40 club. Really? Do you know how many there are? I don't. There are four. Wow. That's 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases in a single season. There's been... A buttload of guys who have come really close, but the amount of guys who have actually done it is a really, really short list. Wow. So could you name the four guys that are in the 40-40 club? Oh. Uh, Barry Bonds? Barry Bonds is. In 1996, 42 home runs and 40 stolen bases while playing for the San Francisco Giants. It's hard because stolen bases are so much less a thing now. Yeah. I I mean, I want to say, but I'm not sure if he's ever stolen that many bases. Um, so maybe I'll save that. Okay. Um, there is one that happened before Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds in 1996 was the second one to do it. Yeah, he was only the second one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see, 40 homers, 40 stolen bases. Um. Gosh. Would it help? Okay, I'm going to give you a little hint. Okay. I'm not sure if you need it or not. But would it help to know that at least three of these guys are heavily linked to steroids? Okay. That would... I don't know about the fourth one, but okay. I know for a fact that three of these guys are heavily linked to steroids and human growth hormones. Uh, did Alex Rodriguez do it? Alex Rodriguez did. Okay. In 1998, with the Seattle Mariners, as a matter of fact, had 42 home runs and 46 stolen bases. That's crazy. Um, let's see. Linked to steroids. If you don't get the first guy that did it, you're going to feel dumb afterwards. The first guy? Yeah. 40 home runs is a lot of home runs. Yeah. Um, did Mike Trout do it? That's the one that I was No, he did not. Okay. He has not done it. I if mean, you want, I can give you a hint, but then I have to subtract a point. Uh, I'll tell you what team and year the player, the player t- played for the team and what year he played for the team. That okay. Did. 1988, Oakland Athletics. A guy linked to steroids. Heavily linked to steroids. Did, oh, did Jose Canseco Jose Canseco! 42 home runs, 40 stolen bases was the first member of the 40-40 club. Wow, I had no idea that he was fast. Yes, he was, because of all the steroids. I had no clue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I've already guessed that's four. The, so who is the other guy? The trivia that this is the interesting one. This is what came. Up. I don't remember this at all. But in 2006, as a member of the Washington Nationals, Alfonso Soriano had 46 oh. home runs and 41 stolen bases, which is interesting because I remember when I was a teenager. So this would have had to been like around like early 2000s. Yeah. Maybe 2002 ish. Soriano and Vladimir Guerrero were both one stat away from doing it. Wow. I think Guerrero was one stolen base short and Soriano was one home run short, maybe. Um, also, in 2019, a Braves outfielder was three stolen bases short. Do you know Ocuna? who that was? Ocuna, yeah. yeah 41 Ocuna. home runs. Yeah. Yep. Ronald Acuna Jr. hit 41 home runs and stole 37 bases in 2019. That's crazy. Yeah. That's super because, like I said, stolen bases aren't much of a as much of a thing now. Right, and they're definitely not consistent. Like yeah. there could be a guy who comes out and steals a buttload of bases one year, and then doesn't really steal that many, or he's out of the league yeah. the next year. Yeah, and you got like like I said, I'm I think that Mike Trout probably is fast enough to steal that many bases, but I'm just not sure he tries that much or gets on base uh, gets on first base enough. He has too many extra base hits. That's true. <laughs> It's interesting, like, when I think about this, too, I thought one guy that might come up was Ricky Henderson, but I realized he never really quite had the power, I, I guess. almost guessed him, but then I was like, there's no way he hit that many home Have runs. Have you ever heard the story that Harold Reynolds tells about Ricky Henderson when he won the stolen base title? Uh-uh. So there was a year, Ricky Henderson was like, he stole a ridiculous amount it's of It's insane. Bases. It's absolutely ridiculous. And there was one year where Ricky was hurt, and Harold oh. Reynolds <laughs> playing for the Mariners stole, I want to say it was like 65 bases or whatever. Um, so Ricky calls him. <laughs> and Ricky always refers to himself in the third person. Of course. So Harold's like, hey, Ricky, what's up? And and Ricky's like, well, you know, I just wanted to say, you got 65 stolen bases, huh? Won the, won the stolen bases title, huh? <laughs> and Harold Reynolds is thinking he's calling to congratulate me. Yeah. And Ricky Henderson says, Ricky would have had 100, and then hangs up the phone. <laughs> It's a great story. <laughs> okay. So, so that was part one. And you did pretty well. You got Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez with very little prompting. Jose Canseco with a hint. Yeah. So let's say since the points don't matter, you scored unicorn amount of points in that one. Woohoo. Okay. Now. Nice. Wait, if the points don't matter, how am I going to know if I won or lost? I will just tell you you lose. Okay. At the end. That'd All right. Make, that's uh, <laughs> consistent. 50, 40, 90. There are... Eight players in the history of the NBA who have wow. done it. Two, only two, who have done it in multiple seasons. I'll give you eight shots. How many of these players can you name? Uh, Larry Bird? Larry Bird is one. Reggie Miller? Reggie Miller's two. That's a good one. I think you get that one. Uh, Steph Curry? Steph Curry also. Three for three so far. Clay Thompson? Not Clay Thompson. So that's three out of four correct. Oh, oh, you just told me one. I did. Oh. Remember, it's the guy who you liked in college yeah, and, then, uh, and then claimed you didn't know. <laughs> Later. He clearly doesn't know him. Was it Joe Harris? <laughs> Not Joe Harris. So you're three out of five. There are it was some the great, other guy. I, there yeah. are some recent players in this, though. Oh, boy. Um, let's see. Kyle Korver? Not Korver. 
Really? Yeah, I don't think he ever shot enough two-pointers oh. to make 50% from the field. <laughs> that makes sense. So you're three for six. You got two more guesses. You started out really strong. I did. I'm going to feel terrible if he... I don't think... Damian Lillard? <laughs> not Dame. Okay. I would have awful. That's if... another one where he he's probably not quite that efficient on three-pointers, but he might be close. But his two-point field goal percentage won't be... Yeah. It won't be there. All right, you got you got one more guess. See if you can get half of them. You got three right off the bat. What was that guy's name? You told me his name two weeks ago. I mean, two weeks ago, but also I've brought him up several times over the last few months. <laughs> I, he's, doesn't he have kind of a weird name, too? Like, there's no way I'm just going to pull it out. There's no way. So I'm Okay, so I'm just going to try and think of somebody else who's a really good shooter. Oh boy. <laughs> 50 40 90 is it, right? Yep. Let's go with Let's go with Rick Barry. <laughs> Wait, Sorry. were there even three-pointers when he played? Uh, uh, no. I don't know when he played, but the three-pointer was introduced into the NBA in 79, so probably not. So yeah, but uh, that's your eight guesses. Oh. Started out strong, got three. I got three in a row, right? There is at least one name on this list you're going to feel like a major doofus for not getting. Okay, so I'm going to go. Oh, Ray Allen! No, it's not Ray oh, Allen. Okay. <laughs> really? He didn't do it? Again, I think probably another guy that maybe the field goal percentage wasn't quite good enough. Definitely could have got it on free throws and threes, though. 90% on free throws is really good. Yes. Obviously. Okay, the first guy to do it was Larry Bird. Okay. He did it two seasons in a row, 86 and 87. Wow. The next guy was Mark Price, which I think was probably the hardest name on the list. Um, he did come up when we went through the list of greatest shooters in NBA history several weeks ago, um, but he did it in 88. <laughs> you, you got Reggie Miller, which I personally thought that was really impressive. You got Reggie Miller. He did that in 93. Here's the one I can't believe you missed. Oh, no. Steve Nash. Oh. Is... <laughs> Not only the only guy to do it four times, but also one of your favorite players. And also, I have mentioned over these microphones on multiple occasions that Steve Nash was a 50-40-90 guy. Here's the next one. I didn't get Steve Nash yeah, in the last time before. he was one of the... In 2006, Dirk Nowitzki. Really? Yeah. That's impressive. In 2012, Kevin Durant. Oh, okay. And here's the one you were That's trying to come up with. That's another one I should have guessed. But. Here's the one you were trying to come up with. 2018, Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon. Yes. Uh, now, oh. I did not anticipate that you weren't going to get Steve Nash here. <laughs> because we're going to close out this segment with a bunch of Steve Nash trivia. Not, not trivia. I'm just going to tell you some really amazing facts about Steve Nash. You should ask them. But I thought uh, you were gonna get Steve Nash right. Why do I always forget? And Steve then it Nash. was gonna say, why everybody always forgets Steve Nash. <sighs> Steve Nash forgot about Steve Nash. <laughs> Did you know? Uh, many years after he retired, the way he, Steve Nash has watched how the NBA has changed, he has done multiple interviews where he says, "I really should have shot more. I should have <laughs> shot 20, point, 20 times a game." He mostly shot around ten times a game. That's the insane. highest. Shots per game average of his whole career was 13.6. Wow. And he had a coach when he played for Dallas. I think it was Nelson. 
who once threatened him, if you don't shoot at least 10 times a game, I'm going to fine you. <laughs> because he, his coach believed so much that he needed to shoot more, but his nature was as a facilitator. He wanted to get his teammates involved in the game. But one, one famous quote I remember that I don't remember where it came from was, it feels like every time he shoots, it goes in. Yeah. Like, he literally just was incredible um, shooting the ball. His career averages are just shy of 50-40-90. Wow. For his career, 49% from the field, 43% on three-pointers, and 90 from the line. Wow. And by 43%? Far, yes. And by far, of all the 50-40-90 guys, by far he's the closest for career stats. Um, also, here's an interesting wow. thing. He did it four times. It was 05, 07, 08, 09. In 2006, he shot 89.9% from the free throw line. If he had made one more free throw, he would have done it five years in a row. Wow. Um, just a little more, just to add to Steve Nash. I know he's your guy. He's one of my favorite players that I've watched of all time. He's a two-time MVP. He's an eight-time All-Star. He's a five-time assist champion. Why do people forget about this guy? Including me. He's amazing. <laughs> I love Steve Nash. Yep. Do you feel dumb? I feel so dumb. Then it's done its job. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. That was Stump Daniel brought to you by the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. Again, thank you so much for that sponsorship. Now we're going to take another. No, not another. We're going to take a. I'm really terrible at these. You're flustered. Yeah. We're going to get to go to a break and talk about some NBA stuff afterwards. <laughs> Do you have a legal situation and need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Domashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit domashevitzlaw.com. That's D-A-M-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z-L-A-W.com. Oh. Sorry, I just made a face there. Yeah, what was because that earlier I was telling you, oh, the Mavs are getting crushed. They were down by like twenty plus points. They're now up by nine. Oh wow! Yeah, it's one ten to one hundred one with about six minutes left. How many does Luca have? Uh, I'll find out. <laughs> Luca sprained ankle. Luca has drum roll, please. Thirty points. <laughs> 12 assists and 13 rebounds. You know what's sad is I saw you make that face, and for some stupid reason, because you would never look at this, I was like, oh, did Kyle Lewis just hit another home run? <laughs> so I clicked over to the Mariners thing, and then I realized Justin wouldn't be paying attention to the Mariners game. What is Mariners? <laughs> so, Justin, you created this thing, uh, the yeah. playoff team draft. I've immediately regretted it. Yeah, well... Even after we drafted it, I immediately regretted it. It's were... been really fun so far. And you're... <laughs> Andrew does, says that, but I, he doesn't even know I, what's going on. I was... I, we came in today, and I was like, Justin, have you been keeping track of the score on that NBA thing? Because I haven't been able to keep track of like which teams I had and how many points, and I don't know what's going on. Andrew Gross, our producer... The guy whose favorite player is Clay Thompson, but he didn't know what team he played for. Yes. Go Cougs. Currently <laughs> is in the lead with 12 points. Daniel, you have seven. I have six. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's. Uh... He is. I didn't even pick first, did I? Or did I pick first? Yeah, you picked first. Oh, I did pick first? Okay. Get then, out of here. Then I feel, I feel better. About no. It. Okay. 
You I don't feel bad. First. I picked first. You picked the Bucks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I did pick middle. <laughs> it's funny because immediately yeah. after we did this draft, I hated my squad. <laughs> and I I ended up picking last, and I got Raptors and Clippers, which I don't want to root for them, but at least I felt good about them. I had Pacers, 76ers, and Thunder. Well, if you've been paying attention, you know the 76ers <laughs> got swept by a team that Andrew has in his squad, yeah. the Celtics. <laughs> Celtics. And also, if you've been paying attention, you know that the Pacers are down 3-0, potentially going to be swept tomorrow by another team that Andrew has on his squad, the oh. Miami Heat. Oh, my gosh. So two of Andrew's teams are crushing two of my teams, <laughs> and that's really hurt me. Uh, I have Raptors who have three. That's my leader right now. If the Clippers can come back and beat the Mavs, I'll get a point there, and then Daniel, you and I will be tied. If the Mavs hang on and win, then you'll be up on me, 8-6. to six. And then there are a couple other games today, too. But as of now, Andrew 12 with the Lakers, Celtics, Heat, Rockets, and Magic. Daniel was 7 with the Bucks, Nuggets, Blazers, Jazz, and Mavs, the all-homer team. <laughs> and then me as the one who pays the most attention in this room to the NBA by far in last place. That makes me happy. I thought you'd so be happy we, after we follow up that stump, Daniel, where you forgot who Steve Nash was. Yeah, that we could come into this and then I could look like an idiot. I like I do that does make me happy. So, what teams got you points? Like, can you break down where yeah. all the points came yeah, from? Yeah, so I've got three from the Raptors, two from the Clippers, zero Pacers, zero 76ers, and one from the Thunder. Daniel, you have two points from the Bucks, one from the Nugs, one from the Blazers. <laughs> Two from the Jazz, which has been, to me, the biggest surprise out of all this. The Jazz are up on the Nuggets 2-1, to one, but you have both of those teams, so you were going to get all the wins either way. <laughs> yep. And then <laughs> you also have the Mavs, um, who have gotten you one up okay. to this point. So yeah. hopefully that goes seven games for you, Dan. Yeah, and just to refresh the listeners on how this works, if you win a series, you get one point for every game you win through all through the whole playoffs. Uh, two points for winning a first round series, three for a semifinal, um, four for a conference final, and five for winning the NBA finals. So, what do you think about? I don't know why this just popped up, but you have the Thunder. Yeah. Do you think they have a chance to beat the Rockets? I mean, a chance, yes, but only because the Rockets game is so dependent on James Harden that I feel like literally anything could happen to them on any given night. Um, I know that I'm really glad I didn't watch that last game that the Thunder just beat the Rockets because those two teams combined for 91 three-pointers Gross. attempted in that game. Wow. Uh, which to me wouldn't be fun to watch because I know based on those two teams that what they're doing is just dribbling down the floor and chucking it. Yeah. Um, I did notice that somebody on Twitter, I want to say I saw a tweet that said James Harden got locked down. Um, by some Thunder defender, and then I looked at the box score, and he sort scored 38 points. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not sure if that's James Harden locked down. I'm not sure I want to see what James Harden not locked down looks like. But I, I, I think the Thunder has been kind of, for most people, it's been like the happy surprise all year. Not for me because I don't root for them. But everyone wrote them off. Like, their star players left. Russell Westbrook is gone. Paul George is gone. They traded for Chris Paul, but most people thought he was just going to be there until they got rid of him. And his, he was on the decline. But Chris Paul has now taken this team to a point where they were the fifth seed in the better conference. So I think 
anything could happen there, but whatever happens there, the Thunder are playing with house money. I just think it would be amazing if the Thunder beat the Rockets and eliminated them because that's where he came from, and they traded yeah. for Westbrook. Yes. And everybody was like, oh, Westbrook and Harden. They're going to be amazing. Yeah. Look out for these guys. And it just cracks me up that all of those players left the Thunder. Right. Durant, Westbrook, Harden. Yep. And it would just make me so happy if the Thunder then. And I know that that's not going to make people around here happy. No. Because everybody loves to hate the Thunder around here. But just the fact that they have a chance to do better than the Rockets would make me so happy. Yeah, I think the smart money is still on the Rockets. Because I'm not a fan of the Rockets one bit. Yeah. I do not like Russell Westbrook. Yes. I do not like James Harden. Right. And I really, yeah. I just, the way they play is the reason why many people hate NBA basketball. And that is not, it's an indisputable fact. Yeah. That is what it is. But it is additionally interesting because Chris Paul is on that is on the Thunder and famously he and James Harden had big disputes last year and then all of a sudden Chris Paul gets shipped out. So um it will be interesting. I think that would be a huge redemption story if the Thunder could beat them, but I still think the Rockets with Harden might have a little too much firepower. So looking at the Blazers and the Lakers series, obviously I am all in on the Blazers. And you are not alone in your LeBron fandom, by the way. I mentioned my buddy Nathan mm -hmm. earlier in the show. He was watching the game on his phone the other day, and I was watching it with him, and Lillard got fouled on a three, and his reaction was like, that's not a foul. And I was like, oh, are you a Lakers fan? He's like, no, I'm a LeBron fan. Yeah. He's like... There's a lot of us out he's, there. He's the Michael Jordan of our era. Like Smart basketball people love watching LeBron James. He's play. everywhere. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that's ex my first thought was that's exactly how Justin is. Like, he wasn't a Lakers fan, but he's a LeBron fan. Yeah. And he wasn't a Cavs fan, but he was a LeBron fan. And he wasn't a Heat fan, but he was a LeBron fan. So I was like, okay, I guess that's not – I think maybe that's another reason why I don't like the NBA is because I feel like a lot of their fans are like that. 100%. That's definitely true. Yeah. Because the NBA is such a star-driven league. And also because players switch teams so much that that is kind of what it is. Like, guy, you watch a guy play, you enjoy the way he plays, and then you just root for whatever team he's on. Also, I saw a tweet the other night that was after the game, and it was Damian Lillard if the Blazers ask him if he wants to approve a trade. And it was just this guy, like, stamping approval on papers. And I was like, <laughs> you obviously have no idea anything about anything Damian Lillard has said over the yeah. past five years. Yeah, but like, Daniel... not one clue. Portland's so far over there. They're, like, almost up in Alaska. They're near Seattle. Yeah. He wouldn't want to be there, obviously. It's so stupid. <laughs> it made me really frustrated. I was like, you have no clue anything that you're talking about. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Dame has repeatedly said over the last several years... This is the team that picked me. This is the team that gave me my chance. If other stars want to come play here, I think that's great. I'd love to have other stars come play, but I'm not going to go create a super team somewhere else with someone. I want to be here. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And obviously he's been really embraced by the community. He's done a lot of really great things and invested in the community in Portland. But also um, CJ McCollum is, I know that there tends to be, 
hot trade rumors with CJ McCollum. They come up almost every year. CJ loves Portland. And I've heard him on his, he has a podcast called Pull Up. I've heard him talk about how, you know, uh, different guys just work in different cities. Like Milwaukee might be great for Giannis because he doesn't really super love all the attention that he would get if he was in LA. You know, certain cities just don't work for certain guys. And for CJ, he loves wine and meditation. (laughs) (laughs) He loves wine, meditation, and yoga. And for someone who loves wine and meditation, Portland is a perfect place. And he really likes it there. Yeah. So look, looking at this, they get the win in game one. And then game two is a disaster in so many different levels. A, you hear that Zach Collins isn't going to be able to come back. Mm-hmm. B, they get demolished. And then C, Damian Lillard dislocates a finger on his left hand. And everything just... And they were already losing by 30 when that happened in the third quarter. So that wasn't the reason. It was just an awful side effect. So it just looked bleak. Yeah. Did anything from game two where it was closer or game three where it was closer make you think that the Blazers have any more hope than what you were thinking watching that game two disaster? I think the Blazers are sunk. I think they're exhausted. I think that the fact that, and I I know this is a shortened period of time that they've been playing, but they also have been playing like literally every other day. Um, I think they look so tired at the end of games. And it reminds me of what it looked like after the Nuggets series in the conference semifinals last year. It went seven games. They had overtimes. They had double overtimes. And then when they got into the Warriors series, they had no legs. And they just got annihilated by the Warriors because they were tired. I think watching Nurkic out there, it is reasonable to me that he's not in NBA game shape. The dude missed a year after a gruesome leg injury and has only just been back into it for the last month or so. So it's reasonable to me that he's tired. But when he's tired at the end of games... It is very noticeable. He yeah. becomes stumbly and clumsy, and he can't really jump that well, and sometimes he doesn't handle the ball cleanly. Um, it It's a different Nurk when he's tired. Yeah, But you're only... also noticing, like, uh, I know we mentioned last week that going into playoff games, the Blazers had four players that were in the top ten in minutes played through the bubble with uh, Dame, CJ, Mello, and Gary Trent Jr., and I think it's starting to show towards the end of games because they have a lot of jumpers that are coming up short. Um, so, you know, I'm used to seeing Damian Lillard come up in the fourth quarter and rise up and hit jump shots to keep him in the game. And in game three against the Lakers, that was not happening. All the shots that, you know, I'm used to when they come out of his hand, I'm going buckets, that's in. And and they're clanging off the front of the rim. So I think fatigue is setting in and I don't see this ending well for the Blazers. Yeah, and he talked about how his finger was kind of affecting him too. Mm-hmm. And He still shot well. He shot well. Just not at the end of the game. But he mentioned how like his hard dribbles, mm-hmm. like he would head into the lane and then he would just feel that pain and it would just be like a little bit of a reaction that he would have and then he would try and lessen up on it and then he'd lose control of the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he mentioned how it is affecting him and you would, I mean, you would, assume so it's his index finger yeah it looked gross too and it yeah. was dislocated and it was gnarly um but he still ended up with 34 points Nurkic though really is huge in the equation for why they would have a chance at the Lakers and yet he only had 10 points 
only seven rebounds. And I think both of those things, when you're exhausted, it makes sense. But if that's the kind of output they're going to get, it doesn't look good. Well, I know at the beginning of this series, um, when you and I talked about it, you said you were concerned about the depth. I think that's becoming more and more evident that the Blazers really only have right now, especially with Collins out again, they really have like six guys that they trust to be on the floor for big minutes. Um, Simons, for whatever reason, has really fallen out of the good graces of Terry Stotts, and he's he hadn't been playing at all. He got 14 minutes in Game 3, but he had been playing very little before that. Um, I was encouraged, actually, uh, for the Blazers fan side of me, was encouraged by what Gary Trent was able to do in the first two games because going up against LeBron, you know, we had we spent a lot of time talking about, well, who's going to guard LeBron? Who does L.A. have that's going to guard Dame? And who do the Blazers have that's going to guard LeBron? And the name that had been brought up a lot that I brought up was Gary Trent Jr. And he did a lot, one-on-one, on the perimeter while he's bringing the ball up the floor. And Gary Trent was really bothering LeBron. When they got into the paint, he couldn't deal with him. Because LeBron's way bigger and a few inches taller. But out on the perimeter, LeBron had a really difficult time with how quick Gary Trent was. So I I thought from the Blazers' side, that was really encouraging to see. But then, you know, LeBron James explodes, especially early in Game 3. scores 38 points, shoots really well from the field, and seemed to have little trouble dealing with what the Blazers did on defense in that one. What do you think about the whole storyline about the free throw disparity? Because a lot of times, I mean, the easy stat to look at when you think your team's getting hosed is free throws. Mm-hmm. They shot so many more free throws than us. Oh, I can't believe it. And then you're like, I mean, it's easy to just jump on there and be like, yeah, the refs are terrible and they are so one-sided in this game. And then you look at how the two teams play and you're like, okay, but one team is driving into the lane constantly and the other team is sitting around firing three-pointers you're obviously going to get fouled more if you're driving into the lane. And the Blazers do have a tendency to shoot a lot from the outside. Mm-hmm. But they also like to drive a little bit, too. So I think seeing that disparity at least made me pause because they do have guys who like to drive. Damian Lillard is the main proponent of that, though. And he had 14 free throws in the game. Whereas nobody else had more than two, which I mean, that is a little, that is a little eye-opening. That Nurkic only had two free throws, Whiteside only had two free throws. I mean, those guys are guys that are inside. You don't expect McCollum to get many trips to the line, but he didn't have any. Anthony didn't have any either. And then you look up at the Lakers, and it's. It's not like they had a ton of people, but both Anthony Davis and LeBron James shot 14 and 17 free throws, respectively. And I guess, I I don't know, I don't know how to look at that because I didn't get a chance to watch the whole game. Yeah, and we we, I I missed a lot of it, too, because uh, we were at a wedding. But I had felt like even from game one, as I was watching, and I'm kind of an unbiased observer because I'm rooting for both teams here. I thought right off the bat, oh, Dame's used to getting that call. Mm. There, there, there were plays, especially on three-pointers, where I think they're calling fouls in the regular season and they're not calling these fouls right now, which, in fact, had been, we were talking about James Harden a little bit ago, 
it has been a point of why James Harden has had such difficult time having great success in the playoffs because he's so dependent on these fouls on jump shots that he draws some legitimate some not and officials are they tend to be really loose with them in the regular season and then you get into the playoffs and you don't get all the calls that you usually get so I think even going back to game one and game two there were several times where Dame shot a three and got contact that probably would have been a foul in the regular season and now it's not because it's playoff basketball and the officials just officiate differently I hadn't gotten I hadn't felt like, oh, the officials are rooting for the Lakers. But I had felt like the way the the Blazers play is not as conducive to getting the kind of calls that um, that you usually do at this time of the season. So the complete game disparity was, gosh, the Lakers suck from the free throw line, by the way. Mm-hmm. They were 12, 28 for 43. and the What Bla- was LeBron? LeBron was 12 for 17. That's probably about normal for him. Yeah, so not terrible, but not great either. Uh, Anthony Davis was 7 for 14. That is bad for him. Yeah. He's usually a pretty good free throw shooter. And the Blazers only missed one free throw. Lillard went 13 for 14 from the free throw line, and that was the only missed free throw they had because, again, outside of him, they only shot five free throws. Mm -hmm. So that seems a little weird, right? Like, Damien got some calls and nobody else got any. Yeah, I would say that I don't think Terry Stotts would have mentioned it if if he didn't have some specific plays in mind. I don't think Stotts would have mentioned it. I I that makes me feel like there probably was something, but I mean, I think it was even more of a disparity after the first half. I think from the article I yeah. was reading and I'm trying to pull that up now, but my computer is super super slow. I don't generally subscribe to the the NBA wants such and such team to win theory because I, I feel like most fan bases watch a game and they pinpoint ev- they pinpoint all the things that the officials did against your team, but then completely discount all the calls that you got the benefit of. I try really hard to watch with a critical eye that like you know that was a bad call on that side. What was the, what were the benefits that my team got in calls? And yeah. then, you know, inevitably I just complain about the officials after the game anyway. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're shaving points. Well, well-known fact. That happened at one point, I think with whatever guy that was. And that's so- how much we cared. <laughs> and by we, I mean all of sports fanhood. Yeah, I know. Isn't that terrifying though? Like I've, you're right. That should have been a, bigger story do you was that donahue don't is yeah that guy? Donahue is the guy still refing no you're certain of that yeah okay i i'm not certain i feel well, like when i was reading about it last i was appalled at how he was still involved. i'm pretty sure he was immediately terminated yeah oh, really okay <laughs> for getting caught yeah yeah so <laughs> i don't know i think that it's an uphill climb and if the Blazers are going to win, they need, like, 40 and 40 from McCollum and, and Dame. And they're exhausted, like you mentioned. And with yeah. Collins, I don't think they're going to get that. Yeah, with Collins coming out, I mean, it's just another depth piece yeah. that's gone. And it hurts in the big man rotation, especially, you know, going into the series. What big we, man rotation? Yeah. They have Nurkic and Whiteside. Exactly. And then when they want to give one of them a break, what they had been doing was putting Wenyan Gabriel in, Gabriel in to foul people. 
but he only played four minutes this last game. Yeah, they also so basically can, they just went small. They can want they go small. Yeah, they can have one of those guys uh, pop out and have Melo slide over to. We need Melo to, to put on that weight. Yeah. You gotta get him back to fat Melo. <laughs> but the reason <laughs> why we Mello's thought in the beginning right that Did the Blazers you? would have a shot here is because the Lakers have crushed everybody with size all year, and the Blazers with Nurkic and Whiteside and Collins should be able to match up. You got three guys that are all in the seven foot range that are capable, um, you know, both defensively and offensively. So we thought the Blazers would have a shot because of that. So Collins going down on its own doesn't seem like that big a deal, but because it hurts that rotation, you could have kept two big guys on the floor at all times. And now you can't. Yeah. They, and I, I, that thing finally came up at halftime. The free throw disparity was 31 to 8 at halftime. So it got a little better after that, but that's huge. Yeah, it is hard. The, mostly, I think when I see things like that, wah, wah, wah. I yeah. Do. Just seems like, seems fussy. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to lean into it so hard yeah. because a lot of it is style of play too. Like where does LeBron get his buckets? It's not outside shooting threes usually. Mm-hmm. And AD is usually in the paint too. So it makes more sense that and they would get fouled more. Tired guys foul people more than fresh guys do. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for the first part of our show. Don't do anything. So the second part starts. And make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and go check out our YouTube channel where you can see cool videos. Please check out YouTube. Daniel yeah. works so hard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a video of Justin just making faces. Uh, not. It's going to be there soon. It'll be there by the time you get there. Yeah.